The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug, but I ended up connecting to the world around me, a world where each sunset was painted, where I felt adventure's pulse with every step, and where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. See it on the news. See it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And it's Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. Billy Billy brought some festive snacks. Pumpkin spice Twinkies. And apparently Alexis has never had a Twinkie. So should we have her first Twinkie experience be a pumpkin spice Twinkie? That's the question. Absolutely, because Twinkies are pretty trash. So if this is your first time listening, uh, you should go back and listen to the rest of our episodes because they're pretty bomb. Not going to lie. Our podcast is all based on telling stories through the perspective of somebody that is one degree away from a murder or other stranger than fiction story. So we are crowdsourcing our episodes from our listeners. So if you guys are one degree away from a murder, please write us at hello at the first degree podcast.com or go to our website the first degree podcast.com and go to the submissions page and send us your story today's story is from our, one of our listeners and it is up like they all are you guys know that the premise of our podcast called the first degree we're taking people that are one degree away from a murder or another stranger than fiction story we started this podcast to tell these stories but there's so many ways to be one degree away from a crazy story that we want to cover you don't always have to be you know the next door neighbor that ended up being ted bundy like there are so many different connections that you can have and today's story was from a listener that wrote in to our email please write us at hello at the first degree podcast.com and what was her connection alexis i'm not going to reveal the connection but it was different than our others before where it started off we were just going to cover a kind of species of crimes but then when we found out how this affected her life Mm -hmm. you realize that any connection can be super super intimate and i'll give like a little preview into what we're going to talk about she had never met this person she'd never talked to him but she had a few minutes of an encounter with him that would have changed her life and it changed it vastly So we thought it was worth covering. And when I was initially coming up with the creative for this episode, I wasn't sure how Billy and Jack were going to react because it is different. It's not like our other connections, first degree connections we've covered so far, but it is just as, if not more interesting. Yes. Happy Halloween, guys. Happy Halloween, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. So today we're going to discuss the horrors that prompted the state of Idaho to put someone to death after a 17-year hiatus of not having any executions at all. Paul Ezra Rhodes was an Idaho Falls native, and in 2011, he was the first inmate in Idaho to be executed since 1994. And he was the only person to be involuntarily put to death 
in the state since 1957. So I'm going to clarify what that means. The Idaho inmate who was put to death before him ended up giving up all of his remaining appeals, and he asked the state to carry out his lethal injection. Paul Ezra Rose did not do this, and he made attempts to fight his execution right to the very end, which were not successful. Right, and I would fight my execution, too. Life is beautiful. I know. I wonder, so do we know why the other guy was just like, oh, well, thrown in the towel? Maybe guilt, remorse, a normal human emotion. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about what exactly this guy did to get himself the death penalty in a state that shied away from it for such a long time. Well, this guy, Paul Ezra Rhodes, he was arrested after going on a three-week killing spree in the winter of 87. And it was it essentially, it was a reign of terror. And he took the lives of 20-year-old Stacy Don Baldwin, 23-year-old Nolan Hayden, and 34-year-old Susan Micklebecker. And those are just the three that he was convicted of. He may have had other victims and was suspected of killing 16-year-old Christine Galagos in Salt Lake City, Utah, 20-year-old Carla Maxwell of Leighton, Leighton, Utah, and 25-year-old Lisa Strong from Salt Lake City, Utah. So let's talk about our first-degree guest and her connection to this case today. My name's Emily, and my first-degree connection is to Paul Ezra Rhodes. And our connection is that I watched him die. I didn't know Paul personally, but witnessing someone's death is just about as intimate as you can get to a person. He has shaped my views and my life, put me on a completely different path in my life because of experiencing his death. And unless someone had personally murdered one of my family members, I don't know that anything I could ever experience will ever impact my life the way that this has. Okay, so that's how Emily, our first degree connection, is connected to this case. But the question is, so Idaho hadn't executed anyone in 17 years. What prompted them to bring the death penalty back into use in this case? So I think he was chosen to be executed because the crimes themselves were awful. He was this really demented guy that chose these people at random to brutally murder them, take them into remote places to murder them, and then leave them to bleed out and die. It was completely random. And there's not that many high-profile murders in general in Idaho. It's a pretty quiet place, but also he had been on death row for 20-something years. It was time to put the families of the victims out of misery and just give them some peace of mind. All right, so let's explore the murders that landed Paul Ezra Rhodes on death row. So in February of 1987... A woman named Stacy Dawn Baldwin. She was 21 years old. She was actually a newlywed. She's working at her job at the Red Mini Barn convenience store in Blackfoot, Idaho. And her shift was about done. A co-worker comes in to relieve her around midnight. And she sees a man leave the store, get into a pickup truck, and drive, like, really fast and recklessly toward the approaching co-worker as the truck, you know, speeds away. 
So as this guy sped off, Stacy's co-worker saw a passenger next to the driver of the pickup truck, but neither she or the people she was with could identify the faces of the driver or the passenger. She went inside of the mini barn, but she couldn't find her friend Stacy. Stacy's car was still in the store's parking lot and her coat was in the back room. The store's records revealed that there had been a transaction in the last hour or so and $249 were missing from the cash register. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Allo Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Allo Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to allomoves.com com and use code first for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code first, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code first. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. 
head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. Okay, so those are the circumstances surrounding the first murder. The second murder occurs in March of 1987, just a couple weeks after Stacy Baldwin goes missing from her job at the mini barn. So a 20-year-old student named Nolan Hayden was working the night shift at Buck's Convenience Store in Idaho Falls. The next morning, the store's owner found Nolan lying in the walk-in freezer in a pool of blood. He'd been shot five times, and he was still alive when he was found, but he was unconscious. Nolan was rushed to the hospital where he ended up dying. Now, we're going to play a clip of Nolan's family talking to the media. It really, really broke me up. You guys will hear why in just a second. That's a terrible void. Parents aren't supposed to bury their children, but it does happen. You know, I miss him a lot. He was a good boy. I mean, nobody knew. I mean, everybody was so afraid. All around Blackfoot, they were all afraid. She died there. They couldn't retrieve, revive him. The doctor tried, tried everything. There was no bringing him back. Did you do it? Why, why, why kill an innocent boy? I mean, why pick on him? You know, the, the hardest thing, Christina, and I'll remember like it was yesterday, watching your mom and dad go around and pick, try to pick their son up off that table with five bullet holes in him. He's dead in a doornail. And they're trying to pick him up and bring him back to life. Yeah, that was horrible. Okay, so as the police were investigating Nolan's murder at the convenience store, they do an inventory of the store and they find out that some stuff was missing. It was a, about a half dozen big lighters, Marlboro cigarettes, and $116 in cash. Nolan had really long hair, and the investigators were believing or theorizing that the killer may have mistaken him for a young woman because of his blonde locks. So right now we have two murders a couple dozen miles away from each other at a convenience store, and they might be seeing a pattern here. Three days after Nolan's murder on March 19th, a 34-year-old special education teacher named Susan Mickelbacher left for work around 6.30 in the morning of March 19th, 1987. She made it to school, but left because she wasn't feeling well, but she never ended up making it home that day. She was abducted in an Albertson's grocery store parking lot at 7 a.m. in broad daylight, by the way. So she went to school to give the substitute lesson plans. And then she was just popping by because she thought she was coming down with something, and then she left. Oh, got it. Okay. So that same morning after Susan was abducted from the Albertsons, she was seen cashing a check for $1,000 at the drive-in window of her bank when it opened at 8.30 a.m. A few minutes later, she cashed another $1,000 check at another branch of her bank. And it was eventually revealed that Susan was forced at gunpoint to drive in her van to a very rural, remote location. She was then raped. And she was shot nine times. And the autopsy revealed that she was shot once when she was standing. And the other eight times, she was shot while she was laying down. And her attacker left semen on Susan. And the investigation determined that her sexual assault continued as she was dying or already dead. So police in Idaho are trying to figure out who killed these three innocent people. Here's what they know. They pulled the slugs from each shooting and compared them. And the bullets matched up. 
They knew that these three murders were connected. They were all from the same gun. So while this is happening in Nevada, the state troopers were responding to a reported car accident. And when they arrived, the vehicle was there, but the driver was missing. They run the plates and they learn that the vehicle had been reported stolen in Idaho by a woman named Pauline Rhodes. You guessed it. That's Paul Rhodes's mom. Right. So this is kind of the point where things really start to come together for everybody. So the Nevada police who pulled him over alerted the Idaho police as to the stolen car. And the Idaho police, they started a rapport with the Nevada police. And inside the car, the Nevada police found some sketchy shit. And it was items that ended up belonging to each of the three victims who were murdered in Idaho, as well as his gun. It was a 38 caliber revolver, and it matched the ballistics to the gun used to kill Stacy, Susan, and Nolan. So at this point, they're able to track Paul down in Nevada. And where exactly do they find him? Paul was eventually arrested while he was gambling. He was playing blackjack at a casino. They handcuffed him, set him over the trunk of the police car, and read him his Miranda rights. All of the Idaho officers started to arrive, and ironically, Paul Ezra Rhodes knew one of them from home. As this officer approached, Rhodes said, I did it. So he knew this detective from home from this petty like crimes he was doing growing up, right? which is interesting. And... He also said something, the detective said something to him once he was in custody, like, I should have arrested you sooner and these people would still be alive. And he's like, I'm sorry, I did it. Blah, blah, blah. God. It's really chilling. So when Paul was arrested, he had a digital wristwatch in his pocket, which he claimed to have found in a barrow pit, which I'm not sure what that is. And... This particular watch just happened to be exactly like the one that 20-year-old Stacy Baldwin was wearing the night she was killed. They also found two packages of Marlboro cigarettes and five Bic lighters similar to those taken from the store where Nolan was murdered. And forensic analysis would show that footprints found in the snow near Stacy Baldwin's body were consistent with the size and pattern of Paul's boots. And that Paul's hair was consistent with the hair that had been discovered on a blouse she was found wearing. Paul also later admitted to a cellmate that he kidnapped Stacy, took her to an archery range intending to rape her, but then admitted that he was unable to because she was so hysterical. And then he shot her in the back twice as she was crawling away in the snow. Oh, my God. It is so sad. So she was crawling away on all fours for her life. That's so it's so sad. sad. All right. So who the f- is a psychopath? I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on Paul Ezra Rhodes. I got most of this. In, I got a uh, well, I actually looked up this information myself. <laughs> so proud I of got you. this information. Proud of you. I got this information from what I think is somebody possibly in his family or it's some of this information is a little bit biased. Well, but. It might be an advocate. Advocates for anti-death penalty, maybe, or something oh, like that. Yeah. That might, might be what the... the um, uh, or his defense team, or something along those lines. Right. Yeah. It was definitely... They're trying to bias. paint a human human picture of him, and obviously it was, it was done a while ago. Right. So... Paul Arazza Rhodes grew up in Idaho Falls. He was paralyzed with polio when he was four years old. And during this time, he was left alone to be treated and would sometimes be bedridden for months with no family really coming and going. And while he was recovering, his cast developed this foul odor that was a mystery until they took the cast off and discovered it was gangrene. He had all these operations that ended up failing, and he walked with a distinct limp and was in residual pain since he got polio when he was a kid. Um, His family life was 
super chaotic in his small crowded home. His dad was an alcoholic and told his kids regularly that he wanted to kill himself. He, his dad constantly had all these domestic violence issues with his mom and his grandpa and uncles who were his other kind of role models during his upbringing were not good role models and ended up teaching him how to drink when he was 10 years old. This ended up moving him into drugs at an early age as well. He started doing coke, LSD, weed, speed, and many of his closest relatives ended up committing suicide or lost their lives to drugs and alcohol. So he was raised in this chaotic environment and there was a lot of negativity growing up. Yeah, he didn't have a chance. He didn't. I mean, yeah, it was it was not good. So he ended up dropping out of high school at 16 to start working. And according to this article, was apparently the backbone of his family taking care of a lot of the younger girls. And his life ended up taking a turn when he started using meth. And in this article, recent studies show that meth ends up altering your brain chemistry in ways that can lead to serious aggression and psychosis. So Billy also said that meth was different back then. Was it? Meth, well, the meth that it wasn't the the meth that we were seeing from Breaking Bad type of meth. I mean, right. the meth probably in, in Idaho back then was not incredibly pure, and it was uh, they didn't really call it meth. They didn't call it meth back then. They but called they, called, they called it crank. They called it crank back then. You guys are way more versed in crank than I am. I mean, I found it from that article that I just read <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Um, so he had a record of a bunch of small-time arrests dating from when he was 21 years old. It was like, what's failure to disperse? Probably hanging out outside of yeah, a party. Hanging outside and then uh, loitering. Get, loitering. Get loitering. Out of yeah. Loitering, yeah. So loitering, driving without a license, and a bunch of little petty thefts, but nothing too crazy. Um, he'd gotten out of all those charges somehow. He'd been super lucky, and all those times he was let go, the police had no idea that they were essentially chipping at the apex of a pretty big iceberg. We painted a picture of who this Paul Ezra Rhodes character is. Now he's been arrested. He's in custody. What exactly was he charged with? So Rhodes is charged with murder kidnapping, robbery, rape, and this is a quote, an infamous crime against nature, which was for the raping of Susan after her death. Based on the evidence, the jury found Rhodes guilty of murder in the first degree, kidnapping in the first degree, and robbery of Stacy and Susan. And they found him guilty of murder in the second degree in Nolan's murder, and he's sentenced to death. Okay, so I have a side note because I wanted to know what this crimes against nature thing was. So under the common law in Idaho, the infamous crime against nature was the same essentially as sodomy, and it consisted of sexual intercourse in any bodily opening between a human and animal and anal intercourse between humans. So I know that she was sodomized Mm -hmm. at the very least, and I will just say it, I guess. They also found semen in her mouth, in in her dead body, and there were a lot of other sexual injuries to her genitals, to her breasts, Mm -hmm. to her entire body. Mm -hmm. So these are the three murders that he's convicted of of committing. But the police, and particularly one detective, thought he was responsible for others. So they think he might have began his hunt in the adjoining state of Utah. The 16-year-old girl named Christine Gallagos in Salt Lake City was gunned down in May of 1985. 11 months later, 20-year-old Carla Maxwell was shot to death in a robbery in Layton, Utah. And this was also a convenience store. And then 25-year-old Lisa Strong, the third Utah victim, was killed in a Salt Lake City street 
in May of 1986. All three of the women were killed with the same handgun. Now, there was a man that was convicted in Lisa's death, but cops couldn't place him at the two other scenes. And the police detective that I mentioned, Salt Lake City police detective named Jim Bell, he stated then he was certain that Rhodes is the one that actually killed them. Do we know why that they thought it was Rhodes? Just because it was similar? You know what? I think it's... He was in the area at the time. I, I think he was. So I, th- I think they could place him. It's so similar. And again, they didn't see a lot of this stuff. So yeah. if you see somebody that's walking like a duck and quacking like a duck, and then somebody had seen the duck over there, right? Also, it's, it's eighty-seven. When I was doing the research for this, they were like, they couldn't exclude him from having semen that match. They couldn't exclude the hair from not matching the hair that they found because they didn't have the technology to even right. determine. So it's like they had just a couple markers that indicated it was a match. I think they have blood type, the, the secretor, yeah. non-secretor, which isn't even applicable anymore in our technology now in forensic science. But it was so uh, primitive, really, in 87. Yeah. No, the, first, the first DNA case for a criminal case was in 86, which was actually, I believe, in, in England. So we weren't... It, it, it was going to take a while for it to get Ido. Yeah, exactly. So we're getting back to the fact that Paul Ezra Rhodes was sentenced to death, but no one really thought it would happen. I mean, people go sit in death row all the time, especially here in California, for example. So they hadn't executed anyone in such a long time, but 24 years ticked by. And after all of Paul's appeals were eventually exhausted, an execution date was set and people were really shocked. So the murders actually didn't happen while I was alive. They happened a few years before I was born. So until we were told at work that we were going to cover this execution, I had never heard of this guy before. We were replaying some of the old news stories from when it did happen. And so anything that was in there is all I knew beforehand. Emily had this internship where she was working at this news station when she was only 17 years old. So I asked her what her parents thought about their daughter witnessing an execution at that age. And here's what she had to say about that. My parents were okay with it because it was for work. And we didn't know who was actually going to be in the room. It's not something that they decided at work. It's something the prison officials um, did a lottery drawing to find out who from the media would be in the room. So it wasn't decided until that day that I would actually be there. Finally, that morning of his execution arrived, and that was November 18th, 2011. And that's when Emily went to the prison to find out if she'd be able to see the execution, and she waited to find out who of the media would be picked via lottery to see it for themselves. So we arrived at the prison at, I want to say it was about five in the morning, so it was still dark, it was cold, because it was November in Idaho, there was snow on the ground, there was a block of area blocked off on the opposite side of the road from the prison where protesters were able to peacefully protest. They were standing there with signs and sitting there and praying and signs saying, what would Jesus do? Well, I mean, Jesus wouldn't murder. So I I think that kind of went out the window. So it was cold. It was dreary. There were lots of news vans from Tons of different stations there, and everyone gathered under this tent to be told what to do next. 
Yes, the execution was a target of protests from capital punishment activists outside. About 50 people braid the cold in the wind uh, to, you know, with their signs telling people this is wrong, et cetera. What would Jesus do like she was talking about? Across the street, there was about a half dozen people gathered in the fenced off area designated for supporters of the death penalty and wanting to see this guy die. And you would see that often. You saw that with with Ted Bundy. Oh, they were like burn, burn, Ted, burn. Oh, my God. Burn, burn, burn. like a sandwich. Like it's Friday and like the sandwich board. No, those T-shirts were insane. Oh, my gosh. Well, he's a horrific guy. Yeah. So let's hear from some of those protesters, their rationale, why they were so adamantly against this. The Department of Corrections was prepared to handle demonstrators for today's execution. By 7 this morning, about 50 people had gathered on the side that is against the death penalty. They gathered and repeated a prayer. They held signs protesting the death penalty, and there was a small group lined up on the other, on their knees, facing the sunrise. They were mostly there to protest the death penalty and the way Idaho was carrying it out. We hope to get across that um, state-sanctioned killing is unjust. It's cruel and unusual. Um, The system itself, um, the death penalty system itself, is an arbitrary and unfair system, and it's time to abolish it. Well, Idahoans for the death penalty has been opposed to the death penalty for a long time. Um, We've been protesting at the Capitol, the larger group, for about 16 years, every Wednesday at noon. And we've been doing that because we oppose the death penalty. We'd like to see the state of Idaho abolish it as a punishment. But of course, once we heard that uh, Mr. Rhodes would be executed today, um, it was no longer just a bad idea. It's actually going to happen. So what kind of emotions are you feeling today? You know, you know? Oh, when I woke up, I felt a, a feeling of dread. Um, but our group is also, you know, we don't want to see Mr. Rhodes executed, but we also understand um, the pain the victim's families are going through and Mr. Rhodes' family and also um, what IDOC personnel is going through today knowing that they will be killing a man this morning. That, That can't be easy. So that's pretty chilling too. I have a question. So what kind of experience does the person that's administering these drugs have? Very little. And that's a huge part of why people are against lethal injection, because doctors can't do it. Because so who, they're sw- what's the job title of the person? That There's does none. It? It's different in every state. Oh, so weird. sometimes they have prison guards do it. Oh, Be- God. A doctor can't do it because of the Hippocratic Oath. Right. And they've had lethal injections be horribly botched because they'll put the needle in the wrong way. They'll put the needle in the flesh instead of a vein. And mm-hmm. it, it becomes this painful really visually upsetting thing to witness and it can take a really long time where in the three drugs do different things and i know the drug cocktails changed quite a bit because a lot of these drugs are harder for states to get but i know one of them the first is like an anesthetic paralytic the second is kind of one's an anesthetic one's a paralytic and one stops your heart Mm. so sometimes people get this thing where one works and one doesn't and then you have like locked in syndrome where you can feel but can't move and then apparently the other one makes your veins feel like it's on fire so it can be a very cruel painful way to go but it's supposed to be painless right because they have the anesthetic first no it's supposed to be painless yeah you're supposed to be asleep in theory but you know death who no one knows how death feels right Right. You know, and a lot of people don't care. A lot of people are like, so what? 
he murdered possibly right. six people, and compared, if not more. Yeah. And compared to what they went through, this is like right. a thumb prick. I mean, you know, validly. so right, sure, but but this is the thing. So I asked Emily about the person who actually executed, and I was like, were they disguised? Because oftentimes they mm. will. And she's like, no. And it was just the coroner who did it. I was like, the coroner was the person that. That's what she said. I'll have to executed confer- him. Yeah, because huh. apparently it was just a button that was pressed. So I don't know. And she said nothing was done to disguise his identity. She saw him press the button. It was a coroner. But I just know corners go to medical school. Doctors and they are. Hippocratico. But maybe, maybe I don't know. A, maybe there's That's a loophole so there. odd. Well, like, it's just arbitrarily like, okay, you look good to kill somebody today. Want to press a button? Well, nobody wants to do it. So in a big part of that argument is like it's not fair to the guards who get selected no. to do it and all of these there's a lot of moral complications because right. it yes. used to be with the anybody that's ever watched a movie that has a firing squad is that one of the rifles is empty right. and they don't know which one is empty so you don't know if you, you mean actually one's actually shot. loaded one's or no 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 they're all loaded except for one so you, but you don't know if yours is the one. They want to make sure you kill him. You're not just going to leave it up. There to, can't just be one cuz you'll one. probably miss. Why would one be empty? Because then you, but you don't know whose is empty. So you're, you're. Oh, it's yeah, like mind tricks. It's like, yeah. Well, not empty, so you pos- but it's a blank. It's a blank. The person it's a blank. that didn't yeah. kill him. Okay. So right. blank, not empty. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. No, it's like, well, mine just clicked. Like, couldn't you feel it not going off? <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. So. So that's how you, that's how they guarded away from that. But it, obviously with the. You would we were think talking about the heading that, people. You knew who the guy was, right? Was You'd think that. Do they? How is like the executions? What are they usually now? Lethal injection. Lethal it injection, is. Yeah. Do they just have like a robot doing it now? No, they have like they I said, have prison guards or random people at the prison who will do it who are not trained in medicine. But you would think if it's just pushing a button, they'd have a robot do it. Yeah, at but this somebody point. still has to put the. The needle in him. In his arm. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right. These robots that you're talking about are not. <laughs> I don't, no, okay. No, 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 no. A robot could definitely do that. But someone has to turn on the robot, which is. The, so then it just keeps going down the somebody line. Had to, somebody had to build the robot. The well, the what I do want to mention, too, is that. So part of the rule is with spectators on these executions, I asked Emily, I was like, did you see him get walked in? And she's like, no. When we came in, the needle was in his arm. Mm. He was already strapped to the table. And part of the rule is you can't see them walked in. I don't know well, if because that's, I don't know if it's like it would be more traumatizing because then you're seeing like the the humanity of it. I don't know, but it was I it was some right to I guess the prisoner or whatever. But the needle was in his arm this entire time, and not till the button is pushed mm. is is he dead? And he sat there for quite a while. So we heard from the protesters, and they didn't like this, obviously, but they weren't stopping this execution train from moving down the track. It was happening. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French. And it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten. And I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app. 
with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries a state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, so let's talk about Paul Ezra Rhodes' final days, moments, hours, minutes, seconds until he was killed. He was in really good health during his final days. He was anxious, validly so, um, about the coming execution. And uh, the evening before his execution, he was able to have family members come visit him until 8.30 p.m. He could make phone calls until 9 p.m. And his attorney, Oliver Lowey, and his spiritual advisor met with him until 6 a.m., two hours before his execution was scheduled at 8.10 in the morning. So now the most interesting thing about execution prep (laughs) His last meal. So he was essentially offered hot dogs, sauerkraut, mustard, ketchup, onions, relish, baked beans, veggie sticks, ranch dressing, fruit with gelatin, and strawberry ice cream cups, which was the same meal that was offered to all of the Idaho maximum security inmates. All but one of the other death row inmates also signed a farewell card. Which sounds nice, but is actually really dark. It's pretty dark. God. And also, There's why didn't that darker. one guy? What did he do to that he one just guy? Had some shit. Against the guy's like, him. nah, I'm not saying bye to you. Nah, I'm not signing your card. You're but, a dick. It's right. Like, dude, so I you bet all you, are pieces of shit. I'm you all sure murdered a bunch of people. He was presented the last meal and given a card, like at the same time. Probably, yeah. And the last meal, the whole idea of the last meal, and you, you've heard stories of prisoners giving outlandish requests for what their last meal is and it varies by state by state by prison by prison on whether they will grant these requests or oh, what do you want to eat sometimes yeah. they won't give you a good last meal no i mean he didn't uh, i mean this is the did, same did he well, request anything he didn't request anything no. well no but let How me would you not request something? so let me tell you something about texas which kind of doles out the most executions than any state so in 2011 a guy named Lawrence Butler. He was a convicted murderer and self-described white supremacist. He requested a last meal that included two chicken fried steaks with gravy and sliced onions, 
a triple patty bacon cheeseburger, a cheese omelet with ground beef, tomatoes, onions, bell peppers, and jalapenos, a bowl of fried okra with ketchup, one pound of barbecued meat with oh. half a loaf of white bread, three fajitas, a meat lover's pizza, one pint of bluebell ice cream, a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts, and three root beers. Holy crap. They okay. brought it to him. Did he eat the whole thing? He ate nothing. Nothing? And you know what happened? Texas took away the last meal tradition for <gasps> everyone. He ruined it for everyone. What did he do it as like a you to? Yes. So now no one made people run around to all the stores to get all these. Yes. And then afterwards, the the governor was just like, they don't get this privilege anymore. This is a waste, whatever. And this guy was a piece of shit. He was condemned to die for the 1998 dragging death of James Byrd Jr. in the East Texas town of Jasper. Uh, Yeah. And he, you know, dragged a black guy around because he's a racist piece of shit. Oh, my God. And I'm glad he was put to death. Dude, f- that guy. You know, the death penalty is often arbitrarily given, but what a horrific, awful thing to do. And then ruining the last meal tradition for everyone. Yeah. So, I mean, the last meals. Wait, do we know where that tradition, like, how did that come about? Yeah, it started a long time ago. Uh, it started like back in like medieval times where it was like something to, it was a reckoning with the afterlife. So you hmm. want like the rabbit or gruel. Right. Or like it used to be lobsters in medieval times. They gave them people lobsters because they were like the gross food to have. Back right. Then. Oh, really? And now it's mm-hmm. like, oh, please give me the lobster. Yes. Well, speaking of lobster, Danny Rowling, who is the uh, Gainesville Ripper, mm-hmm. he had lobster and butterfly shrimp, a baked potato, strawberry cheesecake and mm. sweet tea. So, sweet tea. Uh, oh, uh, uh, you know, Roddy Lee Gardner, who also killed two people. He had both. He had both of those. He had he had a lobster tail steak, apple pie, vanilla ice cream, and he wanted to eat it while watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Do they grant you a last movie? Depends on how it yeah. depends on your standing with the prison. Like if you've buddied up with the warden. I mean, Perhaps. that's just trying to delay the inevitable watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy, especially the last one where it has like five different endings that keep on going. I know. They're like, all right, well, here's 15 days. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Bundy did not make a request, so he just got the same food that every body that was going to death made, uh, got, which was steak and eggs and T-bone and eggs. I can't believe he... I mean, not him. I just couldn't believe anybody would not request something. Arlene Warnos just had a cup of coffee. Really? Mm-hmm. Timmy the McVeigh. Who killed? Was it 168 yep. people? He mm-hmm. just wanted two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Mint Yum. chocolate chip ice cream is delicious. It's so good. So, wait, are we going to have what's your final meal discussion? Oh yes. Who wants to go first? What would your last meal be, Billy? I don't know. I don't want to think about it. Probably a Happy Meal. What? You're yeah, a sicko. So I can get the toy. Oh my god! Depends on what the toy is. What? Yeah. Why are? What is he doing here? <laughs> I don't know. Happy Halloween, everyone. (laughs) I love Disneyland and Happy Meals. I love Disneyland and I'll have the Happy Meal for my final meal. You know what? That's how I I weigh all of these, all of my darkness that I have to go through in my day job and this night job that I'm at (laughs) with a little bit of, of... dopey brightness during the day and one of those things is if i'm gonna get mcdonald's which i get maybe once or twice a month i will get a happy you meal. eat mcdonald's once, once or twice, twice a month yeah. that is wild i have mcdonald's once a year i really would love a mcdonald's fry right now though all right you know okay what? I'm, I'm, living, nice. I'm living my best life i'm gonna so, transition yeah. into my last meal i would have a large mcdonald's fry because there are no better french fries right. in the entire world agreed i would have a platter of sushi from Nobu. I don't know what yet, but I would pick accordingly. Definitely a spicy tuna crispy rice. Definitely a spicy tuna crispy rice. A gyoza of sorts. 100%. A nice beef gyoza. Um, 
a Jersey Mike's turkey sandwich. Nope. A large mall wine and cheese turkey sandwich. Mm. And a chocolate chip cookie. I don't know from where yet. And a root beer. Ooh. And a bottle of Prosecco. And some Aperol spritzes. Aperol spritzes. I would have... Just a plate of like the Thanksgiving meal. I like mm. a little bit of turkey, a little bit of potato, and like corn and cornbread and gravy on a fork. A few <laughs> a bites of that. Bite? Okay. Yeah. You then don't I need w- to be worrying about your weight if this is your last meal. Certainly not. <laughs> then I would have probably a box of chicken McNuggets now that we're talking Ooh. about this. Oh, wow. Then I would You've have, all come down. You've then all come I would down have <laughs> right <laughs> off the high horse. No, if we're going to die, I just don't want to die. But not die. a happy meal. I want an XL fry. I, you you would be satisfied with a happy meal. You wouldn't you know, want to just You it's all about gorge. all the patent. patent uh, it's, uh, it's portion control. You also too, don't want to be know? bloated. You don't want to be bloated because... Wait, I wasn't done. I want the Godmother sandwich from Bay Cities. Oh, okay. And then, um, yeah, spicy tuna crispy rice of sorts. Um, Oh, I love me a whole lobster. Crab legs. Oh, what about... butter. What about an In-N-Out cheeseburger? In-N-Out cheeseburger. And for sure, yeah, like a Haagen-Dazs chocolate pint. I would also like Mm. a mint chocolate chip ice cream with like a really good, delicious chocolate chip cookie, like an extra large Mm -hmm. one put Mm -hmm. in it. So I can also fries. What what we've determined is you guys are going to ruin it for everybody (laughs) in California. Right? They don't put anyone in death in California. No, they don't. They don't. So (laughs) they 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 charge them with it, but they don't put. Yeah. Yeah. They don't. And if it's a murder with special circumstances, what they call it. So if you're doing something bad when you commit the capital. Yeah. Oh, is that yeah. the difference between capital murder and first degree murder? Yeah. It's mur- first degree. So if you're, like if you're doing it during a robbery. Got it. Which is rough because. You, but what if you're doing. What if you're do, doing a robbery? Doing a robbery. Goes, the gun in the goes commission off. of a robbery. And you don't mean to. And the gun goes matter. off or something. It still doesn't matter. Yeah. It's still capital murder. It's, it goes back to the Nightmare of Hickory Street theory of accountability. Right. Where it's like if you rob someone, it's high risk behavior. You should understand that you could that you kill might. someone. Nobody understands that. That was an incredible incredible deviation but we're going to get back to what happened next with the execution and we're going to hear from emily who was there and saw it herself so once the lottery happened the prison officials gathered us who would be in the room and drove us around to a back door of the prison where it was a more direct route into the gallery area where we would be seeing this happen And we were briefed beforehand that he would already be on the table. We were not allowed to see them bring him in, to see them strap him down to the table, or to even see them put the IVs in him. So all of that would already be done once we got into the room. We were there as media witnesses, also with the victim's families, and we had previously interviewed a couple of them, not me personally, but some other reporters from the station. So I knew who they were. I didn't introduce myself just because I didn't want to make it about me. I wanted them to be in the right mindset to watch what was about to happen. It was a short walk into the gallery room, and it was just a very dark brick hallway and we were led into this room that was also it wasn't very well lit to be honest were just a couple folding chairs and we sat down and there was a window and he was on the other side of the window along with the coroner things appeared to be moving smoothly but things didn't go off without a hitch We 
were held in that room for quite a while. It seemed like forever just watching this man lay on this table. And we didn't know why it was taking so long because we were told that he was scheduled to die at 8.15 in the morning. And I didn't have a watch on me, so I didn't know what time it was. But I could tell it was taking way longer than it should have. We didn't find out until after the fact that an attorney from a couple cities over had filed for an injunction. I don't know what he was trying to accomplish with this because he, Paul was already on the table, but it took about 55 minutes from the time or for the delay to run its course and for the governor or whoever it was to say that this guy isn't going to help the cause continue with the execution. So what Emily's saying is that as Paul was strapped to the table with the needle in his arm, ready to receive the poison and be executed, he's supposed to be executed at 810. An attorney filed an emergency injunction hoping to stall or delay or stop the execution altogether. So because of that, it was delayed an hour and he laid there on the table. And imagine being him knowing this injunction is going to happen, thinking... Wait, did he know it was going to happen? He knew. I think Was it was, his lawyer that filed it? It wasn't his lawyer. It was a lawyer he knew who, who was against the death penalty. Got it. And imagine thinking, okay, maybe this is going to work. Maybe oh I'm not going to be killed. So he's sitting there strapped to the table as these people are watching him, the victim's family members, members of the media... And just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. Yeah, and, they're, and on the other side, they're probably lobbying with, I guess, the governor's office or something, trying to say, hey, you know what? This, there's something about this case. It's not all clear cut. And this guy had such a bad childhood and let him live and, and all that stuff. And so they got an extra hour in order to plead their case. If you think that was going God. on, I don't know. And then. Got to be the longest hour of your entire life. Right. But that being said, People don't realize, I mean, the reason why people are on death row for like 20 years, because because you get so many appeals mm-hmm. and it's such a slow moving process. And I think people also don't realize with these appeals is that the family of the victims comes back to to give their statements and detectives get called again. And it really haunts the people who are connected to this case for decades. And it it stops them from actually getting any real closure. It also costs a lot more money, too. I also don't believe in the word closure. I think it's satisfaction, I think is a better term. But closure is like nothing brings their loved one back. No. Now, Michelle McNamara used to say she didn't believe in closure. She she thought it was bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it probably curbs like anticipation of having to do it again, like go to another hearing. It curbs that anticipation. It kind of anxiety about it. Exactly. But closure is like a gross word. That's not right. I don't think I've had closure on a single thing in my whole life. <laughs> but that's just me. Well, that's for another podcast. It's called <laughs> The Lady Gang. It definitely was like he was strapped down at a vet's office being put down. But because of what he had done, I I think that's a fantastic comparison. Um, I do think a lot about what could possibly have been going through his mind just that I'm sitting here behind glass about to die. I'm looking at my mother for the very last time, and I have a hard time comprehending 
what that could have felt like for him, just because I've never been in a situation even remotely similar to that. But I definitely don't think it was comforting at all. In my mind, he was probably just thinking that of all the things that put him in that place, there are so many avenues he could have taken, and he didn't. He chose this awful route in life. So that's what I think he was probably thinking, but you never really know what's going through someone's head, especially in a position like that. We could hear what he said. We could hear his final segment, and it was not easy to listen to. He looked at his mom, and he said goodbye. And he looked at the prison officials and the coroner who was about to execute him. And he said, I forgive you. And then he looked at one of the victim's families said, I'm sorry for the role I played in your wife's death. And then he looked at the other two families and said, you're going to have to keep looking. I didn't do it. I'm sorry. You're going to have to keep looking. And that was all he said. Ooh, that is some chilling shit. The role I played in your wife's death is interesting. Interesting wording. As if, As if there, there was, was other, other there things, were, there were other that, things happened, that happened. And you didn't brutally murder her? Right. So let's get some clarity on those final words. So... I just want to say, in his last moments on the planet, instead of opting for redemption, he's 24 years removed from these these crimes, and he seized upon a final chance to inflict harm on some of his victims' loved ones mm-hmm. by just not copping to it. And wait, I have a question. So he, this entire time, has he been denying those no, two murders? He admitted it in the he beginning. Admit- admitted it in the beginning, and it was the same gun with all three. He 100% did it. What the hell? Exactly. So So is that just like a last like little dig at the end before he goes? I don't know. In his head, maybe maybe he felt the worst about Susan Mickelbockers. That's the one he copped to Mm -hmm. because he raped her. And she the last one? Yes. So remember, the The first victim he didn't rape because she was hysterical and crawled away. I mean, awful thing he did to that poor f***ing person and then nolan he shot and then left in the exactly so maybe he felt the most guilt over susan and kind of separated himself emotionally from the other two so he's like i'll cop to that one but the other ones or maybe he was who knows his rationale maybe he was on drugs for those two and not for her yeah who knows it could have been anything and spending 24 years in a cell you know, thinking about this over and over. Oh, I'm sure you came up with creating your own truth to it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And at this point too, the mother, you know, Pauline Rhodes is sitting there and along with four members of the media, including Emily. So she's only one of four. She was 17 years old when she witnessed this execution. Very impressionable. Gotta gotta say there has to be some kind of law that you should be 18 years old to have like way beyond. I'm still too young to witness something like that. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. I was talking to her about this, and I was like, I probably would have said yes then. I would never do it now. Mm-hmm. Because you well, don't you know, know what the implications are. No. Or not implications, but you, you don't, don't know, know how the... it's going to f*** you up. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's very interesting. But so Emily also said, and it was also reported that he was lying on his back when he delivered this final statement. He was strapped to the table. He seemed a little antsy, and he was tapping his hand on the table. But his voice was very cleared, very loud. And he essentially said, this is verbatim, to Bert Mickelbacher, I am sorry for the part I played in your wife's death. 
For Hayden and Baldwin, I can't help you. You still have to keep looking. I'm sorry for your family. I can't help you. I took part in the Mickelbocker murder. I can't help you guys. I'm sorry. And I think another chilling thing is to, and what an arrogance to say to the warden and to the executioner, I forgive you like they feel bad about it. Okay. It's like, you deserve it, dude. And I I just think it's arrogance. It is arrogance. I don't know. It it gro- it grossed me out. I, it made it's very, me not- It's very self-absorbed yeah. in the situation. No one asks you for forgiveness, dude. Yeah. Peace out. Imagine being in that room as he denies these two killings and these two families are in there trying to see their loved one's murderer be killed. So I asked Emily how they reacted and what that energy was like. And also the mom. Having His saying mom. goodbye to your son... I mean, there's a lot going on here. This is, there's a there's lot, a lot going, going on. on because you're the you're the your child. You know that this guy was the person that saw your chi- your child's last moments and was the cause of those last moments and the Ugh. cause of them dying. Now you're watching their last moments, and they're still you know they're digging one more one more thing into you. Mm-hmm. They, they can't they can't resist on giving you one yeah. last. Shot. They couldn't resist. It's gross. I mean, and you heard the pain and. Nolan Hayden's family's oh, voice. Yeah. It just sickens me. So let's hear how that energy was in the room and what that was like. When he told his mom that he loved her and goodbye, she was sad. You could see in her eyes that she was sad, but I think she had prepared herself not to cry in front of everyone. So I think. I think personally she was saving that until later. Once he was pronounced dead, she did cry, but at that point she didn't. When he denied his part in the other two murders, the families, they looked pissed. I think that's because they knew that he was lying and he wasn't, for whatever reason, able to admit what he had done. Yeah, it was incredibly strange that he would choose to lie about something. I constantly think about whether he really was lying about it or if there was some remote possibility that he could have been telling the truth. And just deep in my soul, I know that he was lying about that, though I still can't think of any fathomable explanation to why he would lie about it at that point. So after that statement, Stacy's brother quietly said he lied the whole way through. Julie Haddon, Nolan Haddon's mother, also commented, what a coward. Another family member said the devil has gone home. Once the button was pushed, the only movement that Paul was doing was tapping his hand lightly on the table. And he had been doing that a little bit before the button was pushed, too. The only other movement was his hand slowly stopping tapping the table. And that's when we knew he was gone. It took about 15 minutes from the time the poison was administered to the time he was pronounced dead. So at 9.15 a.m. at the Idaho Maximum Security Institution, after being administered three separate drugs that made up the state's new lethal injection protocol, Paul Ezra Rhodes was declared dead, and he was cremated, and his remains were given to his attorney. And I found some interesting execution stats. Love a fun fact. Relating to Paul's execution. So... 
He was the 43rd murderer executed in the United States in 2011. He was the 1,277th murderer executed in the U.S. since 1976. He was the first murderer executed in Idaho in 2011 and the second murderer executed in Idaho since 1976. That's so crazy. Yes. And I love some statistical fun facts. I want to know how many murders or murderers there were in jail since 76, 2011. Probably hella murderers. That's crazy. Like, it's just, it still mm-hmm. is, is odd to me. Like, why him? Well, you got to figure that if there was 15,000, actually, there was more back then, about 20,000 uh, murders every year. Mm-hmm. Right now, five or 6,000 go unsolved. But you've got, so hopefully you've got 10,000 murderers every year. Yeah. That adds up. That's a lot of murderers. And that's very few. Very com- few. Compared to the amount of murderers that are in there. Right. I mean, the subject matter of this episode is really deep and dark. And you have a lot of things. I mean, we didn't take a stance in this episode on the death penalty, and I don't think that was the point. Mm. But we did discuss the protesters and their rationale. They discussed the arbitrary nature of how death penalty is administered. We have Paul's mother witnessing his her, her son die. We have the victim's families having this guy attack them once more right before his execution. I mean, there are so many emotional things going on. And to imagine that Emily was 17 witnessing all of this, I I mean, we want to know, this is some heavy shit. How did this affect her? So let's hear. I just remember not it not really hitting me what was happening until we were about to leave the room and that's when I burst into tears and for the rest of the day I really kept to myself and was just trying to process what I had just experienced. I think just the emotion of seeing someone in that intimate state and experiencing someone lose their life and seeing the relief that came from these families and just experiencing the last chapter in a story that will never, never continue. It was a lot to handle. Would you guys witness an execution? Absolutely. F***ing not. No way. Hard no for you? Hard no. Not even a thought in my mind would I want to experience that. I would if somebody killed a family member. A family member. I, I I mean, like as a like a spectator, not the spectator, but like as a journalist or something. I would not. No, it would mess just me up. to do it. No. But the only thing that would mess me up more is the death of a loved one. So yes. then all bets are off. I'll I'll do it. I'll push the button. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'd murder somebody with my bare hands. Exactly. Yeah, I don't. Know. I go back and forth. Obviously, as a journalist, you'd want to. You watched Jun Lin's murder. I know you've watched all yeah. those messed up videos <laughs> I, online. I watched all of them. I didn't watch the Daniel Pearl murder. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> I had to watch Jun Lin though because I was writing a story about it. So yeah, but if you were writing a story on something and then you got the opportunity to go, yeah, witness, I, w- I would. You would. Yeah, I would. It's just it's what I do. Yeah. It would probably mess me up, but I've definitely done a lot of other things that have messed me up. So in, Billy, yes, would do job. it. Hard no. You're hard a hard no. no. Unless I'm very sensitive. Me too. I'm contrary to the contrary to my job. I get very emotional. You guys in planning this episode and do I cried many times when I first watched the video of Nolan's parents 
His oh, father. It's a video. Yes, oh, God, his father broke mm-hmm. me. The pain in that man's voice. I mean, I'm a sensitive person, which is why I think I'm drawn to this. Just empathy and wanting to understand cruelty. So you know, you can be dark and be sensitive. Mm-hmm. Would I do it again? I think if the opportunity presented itself, I probably would. It would go back to being a part of history, being a part of something so big in someone's life, being able to see the story come full circle for these victims' families. That's what the best part of it was, was being able to see them and that they'll never have to worry about this again. I feel very strongly about the death penalty and that I'm for it because of this. I never would have thought about how I thought about it when I was that young, except for experiencing this. Being around the victims' families and seeing how they reacted to it, I feel like it's more for them than it is for the person who committed the crime. Seeing the relief from these victims' families, they won't ever, ever have to worry about this guy again. I think they would have always had that thought in the back of their mind that what if he gets out? What if he escapes somehow and hurts more people or comes back and hurts our family even more? And the fact that they will never have to worry about that again, that's what makes it worth it. That's why I think it's a good idea. Well, it's quite poignant. Poignant and... You know, it's also I feel like something like this would affect everyone differently. And Mm -hmm. for her, it reaffirmed that this is an okay thing, because obviously whatever negative she saw that day was outweighed by the positive. Right. It is interesting because, you know, going through this case and even hearing her reaction to the whole experience, I would have assumed that she would not want to be put in that same situation again. Exactly. After crying her eyes out afterwards. and jarring. It probably haunts you for a while as well. But also it's the fact that she did it so young, you know? Yeah, your brain's not even fully developed at 17. So she saw it so young. Would she, if she hadn't seen it then, you got to wonder whether she would have, you know, because we didn't really ask her that. You got to wonder if she hadn't seen it then, if she had never done it, would she do it now at at 35 or 40 years old? She's like 25. Oh, okay. 35. (laughs) Wow. I mean, she was 17 in 2011. So long ago. Everybody's old for me. Right. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, she has, Emily, I know you're listening. She's got a lot of strength. When I was Mm -hmm. talking to her, I was like, death is really hidden now. Where a long time ago, death was way more out in the open, Right. where it's like someone died at their home and the doctor came over and everyone was there and the body was lying there. We're all we're shielded from all of that now. So Mm -hmm. I think this gave her some insight that a lot of us will never have till we're much older. Right. In that. I mean, maybe we'll never witness a death. Maybe we'll only see bodies in caskets and funerals. But she's got a fly on the wall experience that maybe matured her. You couldn't ever understand how it felt in that room unless you were there. I mean, absolutely. How palpable must that relief have been after this piece of shit, especially denies two of the killings on his deathbed? Yeah, it's like then you totally believe in the death penalty. You're like, if a piece of shit deserves. penalty it's this guy where he took his last he took an opportunity at the last job exactly so you know we her perspective is very smart and you could tell she's really thought about it a lot and she's had a few years to sit on it and i really 
like admire her position on it. This experience she told me uh, made her major in broadcast journalism. So it's she was affected enough to where she's like this storytelling is like is huge. And again, Mm -hmm. it, it only four members of the media was allowed to be in there and she was one of them. So I'm sure I mean, it moved her in a lot of ways. And she said at the top of the episode, too, that it changed her. Right. And I can understand why. Absolutely. So you guys do know that she was a listener to the podcast and she wrote in her story. And we want to hear your guys' stories. If you have a first degree connection to a murder or other stranger than fiction story, please write us hello at the first degree podcast.com or at the first degree podcast.com. There's a submissions form. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. You can also DM us because we were checking all of our DMs, whatever way you would Wherever like you are, you can go, go to the us. Facebook page. There's a, a, a Facebook page. You can make comments on stories and say, hey, I've got a first degree. We're answering all of them. Yes. It's, don't be surprised if it's me because I'm neurotic and I check everything a lot. Yeah, I can tell. Um, <laughs> I like going There's got to be one on every podcast. Um, Somebody's got to be. And it's never going to be the me. neurotic ship. So you, it's me or it won't get done. That's absolutely 100% true. true. All of the work. It's 98% you <laughs> doing the work and me and Billy just show up and maybe read the script a little bit thank you guys for at least doing that <laughs> and we brought snacks you, billy does bring snacks jack today wrote down some personal notes which i, I was impressed jack, jack by did some research i yeah. did my own research and she brought the fuzzy carpet thing that's in the middle of our yeah, uh, hopefully thing, our sound which, is a little which bit helps better. i did set up the sound studio today though very you did with fervor yeah please god i hope our sound sounds better <laughs> okay <laughs> okay you guys the long-winded breaths i have anxiety so I'll work on that, but don't hold your f-ing breath for it to go away. See what you did there? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Don't hold your breath because I'm holding mine. That was a double entendre. I didn't even mean it. It was. Okay. Anyways, we're going to leave. So only you can prevent serial killers. It's like now I have a bunch of different ones. Oh my I God. This from. one is perfect. Yes. Only you can prevent serial killers. And, and uh, leave us a comment if you want us to put that on a shirt because we're making merch soon. And over and out. Sources for this episode include. ClarkProsecutor.com, The Desert News, Murderpedia, KTVB, and The Idaho Statesman.